beginning. Welcome to the Grief James Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, welcome everybody to the show. Happy to have you and happy that you're here listening to this episode. Uh, and again, like uh, we just want to give a shout out to all the listeners, everybody across the world who are listening and taking the time out to uh, lend us your ear for this podcast. And it means a lot to us and it also means a lot to our guests. So today we have on with us Donald Knight, and he is an ordained independent Catholic priest, dreamer, and light worker who makes his living as a software test engineer by day and light worker spreading God's light, love, joy, and hope by night. His grief journey began at the age of 10 when his father unexpectedly passed away and his mother took him and his three brothers on a journey of finding a church home and getting baptized. The event of his father's death set him on a path of faith spirituality, and seeking the divine. He is a host of a podcast, Spay Lumina, Lights of Hope, which is a podcast of praxis, helping people take the negative news cycle and utilize imaginal prayer to be lights of hope in an often hopeless world. You can find out more about Donald at www.angelsofthenativity.org, on Facebook at Spay Lumina, and on Twitter at Spay Lumina. Donald, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, fun communicating you, with you through uh, email. And I think it's amazing how, you know, we met just by you listening to, I think, one of the interviews I did on a podcast. And then you shared your own dreams with me. And I thought it was just amazing. And I'm glad we finally get to talk in person because you've been a listener of the show. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I just, when I heard you, I think it was on Patrick Keller's podcast uh, that uh, I was like, wow, this is some great work that you're doing. And I had had dreams, like I shared with you, as a young kid when my dad died at 10, a few months after he died. And I'm sure my mom must have just thought it was uh, the active imagination of a 10 year old, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'd start there. So, for you, do you remember? Like those that like the times before your father died, like, do you have a lot of memories of your father? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think that when uh, you lose some uh, a parent at that at that young of an age, uh, one of the, I guess, uh, silver linings, if you look at it that way, is that you get to, uh, your father is still the hero that a 10 year old puts his father up on the pedestal to be. You know, you haven't had, you know, and so I have a lot of great memories of my father and just, uh, uh, things like that and just the, the last few days before he passed and just how you sometimes wonder because of the events that happened did he know it was going to happen uh but but yeah i i have a lot of great memories so what are some of those that come to mind because i'm curious because when i think of my childhood i don't remember a lot just because the environment was pretty uh chaotic so like for you what were some of the moments that you remember with him one of the things I remember most, uh, and, and and I have to clarify this, uh, and if I get too wordy, you all stop me and you can edit this part out. But one of the things I remember most is the evening before he passed away, he died unexpectedly of a heart attack at his machine shop uh, on a Saturday morning. But the evening before he passed away, we went out as a family, and I wish I had known that it would have been the last time that my four brothers at home, my three brothers at home, and I would go out as a family with my mom and dad. And then we went to a high school football game. My uh, oldest brother was a freshman at, at the high school, and it was the first high school football game we had gone to. 
and so it was just all these memories. And I remember wanting, I know it may sound silly, a, a, a caramel apple. And usually my dad would say, oh, you don't need that, that junk, you know, even back in 77. Uh, but, uh, but he actually bought my twin brother and I a caramel apple. So I have kind of those little events. Uh, and then the next day, we had uh, my twin brother and I both were uh, played football. We were in fifth grade at the time. And uh, we went to see with our football team, we went to the Oklahoma State versus Florida State football game. And it was when we got back from uh, the football game with our football team, our coach, we drove with our coach and his son, uh, that uh, my mom greeted us at the door. And she was, a, she said, I'm worried about your dad uh, because he hasn't called me all day. And this is back before cell phones and things. Uh, and then I went to take a nap. Uh, and I think I, I kind of let that become a way that I dealt with stress or worry in life is, is taking a nap. And, but when I woke up, that's when my aunt had gone to my dad's machine shop and, uh, they had found that he had passed away. So. Oh. Wow. That's crazy. And like, so how did he die? Did it was just something internal or did something happen at the machine shop? No, he just uh, he just had a heart attack uh, at his machine shop, and no one was there. It was a Saturday, and it was only he and he. I think he may have had one or two other employees, uh, and so no one was there to to assist him at that time. So, wow. So, what was that like for you? Like that's that's a shock, you know. Like, and especially as a child, when you're just having these fond memories, you know, you're playing football. And like he's buying you stuff you shouldn't be buying you. <laughs> um, so what was it like, like to hear that news? And like, how did like how did the funeral go? Like, was there a funeral? Uh, th- there was a funeral. I mean, he he died on Saturday, uh, and uh, interestingly, he was. We had his funeral by nine thirty a.m. on Monday. Uh, so he died on October first, and his funeral was October third. And I, it was just, I think you're just in a daze, those first few days, you know, you're just kind of in this, almost like a dream world, uh, not just because your podcast is about grief dreams, but because you, as a 10 year old, you just don't understand it. I remember the uh, advice that more than one of my uncles said to me before the funeral was, you know, be sure and be strong for your mother and, and don't let, don't let her see you cry and things like that. And I look back now as a 52 year old man and thinking about I would never tell any 10 year old boy that just lost his father unexpectedly. Uh, you know, you had a, a, a guest on recently about Irish wakes and he was talking about how we've made uh, mourning a commercial business and it's all about private mourning when, when death comes. And back then I've, I've not been to a funeral in a, in a uh, funeral home since my dad's death. Uh, I've been to many funerals as a priest and and as a seminarian studying to be a priest and just members of various uh, churches, Uh, but they've always been at a church. But back then it was a private morning because the, uh, at the funeral home chapel, at least the people would gather for the funeral. We're in like a congregational area, like any church, but the family was set behind a screen, if that makes sense. Uh, And there was enough seats for like 30 or 50 people, to where the people gathered for the funeral in the main area couldn't see the of fa- the family mourning, you know, and so uh, I can remember just being shocked. My mom, did, you know, she was strong throughout it all. My twin brother and I were strong throughout it all, and then this woman uh, uh, came up at the end of the funeral, and she's like bawling her eyes out and everything. And I can remember asking my mom, "Who's that?" Because she she uh, touched my dad, and I just. I, I, I didn't get ever get that close to the casket that I remember. And my mom said, oh, don't worry. That's your dad's 
ex-wife Jean and and I had older brothers I had two older brothers and we just never had met you know or never really had thought about my dad's first wife you know uh before because we just never in the 10 years up until he died family gatherings never included her and my father it was either my dad there or I guess her there you know so uh but yeah it was just kind of a surreal experience to say the least so that's something that definitely um happen sometime especially back in the day where you know people just kind of were told you know be strong or especially men be strong don't cry i mean you know i had that vibe growing up a little bit as well maybe not as much with my um immediate family but definitely external forces society on a whole and it's unfortunate that's just the way it is and that's the way those people were i think we've come a long way since then but uh, uh that's that's very interesting. I liked uh, hearing a little bit more about the different um, the funeral process. Is that a is that a Catholic thing where there's that screen? Because I've seen that in an Orthodox church, kind of. But I don't. I'm not really sure too much about um, Catholicism. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a Catholic funeral before. Uh, this was at a funeral home. We weren't raised Catholic. I converted to Catholicism mm. in college, but. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I haven't, I've only seen it at a funeral home, at the funeral home. I don't even know if they still have it set up like that. I haven't been back there uh, since. Uh, it might ages. have just been something that kind of people picked up along the way and decided that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and they thought, it, yeah, exactly. And maybe thought it's respectful to let the family, yeah. you know, be private. Yeah, so. I could see too, people maybe were able to mourn better when it was private. You know, like even though they know they're there, but the screen may help them, I guess, as uh, the Irish people would say, the keen <laughs> uh-huh. or whale or ball a little bit easier because they're in this like they can't see the other people. So I don't know, like, yeah, exactly why that started, but um, it's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, after your father died, did your mom ever remarry or was it? something that you had to just you and your brothers and your mom just you know like tried to figure out on your own on basically how to get that how to become a family without your father uh actually my mom never remarried she's oh. been a widow she's still alive and and she's been a widow longer we, we i talk to her about two or three times a week uh when i drive home it's easy to talk on the phone and and kind of buy because i have a 45 minute commute and uh she uh she's been a widow longer than she was a a, a wife you know uh and uh w- with with us as a family i think that we just kind of set out to get back to normal whatever normal was you know and uh, as you've heard a lot of your guests say on the show some of your friends that you think will always be there uh particularly for my mother sometimes they don't know how to it was only her closest closest friends that that really stayed in touch. Uh, the others, I, I guess it's, and and maybe you've experienced it yourself with loved ones or people that you care about who, who lose someone. Uh, sometimes that initial contact of saying, well, how's it going? It's kind of hard to make that, that, that first, uh, that first communication, that first reach out to say, how are you all doing? You know? So we just kind of set out to, to uh, get back to normal and we really didn't talk about it that much you know, ironically, looking back that, that I recall, it wasn't, mom didn't worry about, I mean, uh, it's not like she thought that we should go get counseling or anything and, and talk about our grief. And as a family, we just kind of wanted to, 
make sure that we stayed together and did things that uh, helped keep, keep us together, you know, initially, you know, so. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you guys bonded together. And even though you couldn't share, you couldn't talk that much about it. There's still something that I, I think is, is remarkable about your mom to be able to have four kids and continue to you know, help the family survive. And I'm guessing she worked. And, um, and I think it's interesting, too. She didn't find I don't know if she wanted to find another partner. But what were your thoughts on that? Like in the sense of looking back now, did you want her to find one? Because I know, uh, you know, Darwin, Dave, I know you're you're listening. <laughs> he uh, he lost his his father. And he told me that, like, he didn't really want his, his mom to start dating. You know, like it was his mom. And that kind of it's kind of like how he wanted it. And so did you kind of want that, too? Or was it that have you ever asked her why she never maybe dated? I, I know that growing up, she always said, uh, uh, well, I, I always wanted to put my boys first. And, you know, mom still to this day still wants to, you know, at 79, uh, she'll be 79 on the 20th of this month. Uh, she, she always just wanted to put us boys first. I mean, you know, she she dated and she went out, you know, and things, but it's not like uh, any uh, any serious contenders came along. And of course, uh, there was times when, you know, uh, those first few years, if she dated, I, I think my twin brother, I can remember when we first got our Atari, one of the guys she was dating is the one that helped set up our Atari 2600 system. So, I mean, there was some, you know, there was that, that particularly with my uh, twin brother and I, we were the youngest that wanted uh, more of a father figure around, I think, at times. Uh, my older brothers were are well into their teens and, I, and that's not to say that their grief was easier for them because they're in the teens. But I think when it came to wanting uh, mom to be married and to have a partner and things like that, I don't think uh, they needed that father figure that uh, my twin brother and I perhaps were yearning for at certain points along the way, you know, so. Yeah, I would imagine, um, and this is something that uh, Darwin's actually mentioned before, and you mentioned that you alluded to it as well, is that, um, you know, at that age that your father passed away, you kind of had this hero image of him, you know, an idealized kind of image of him, which is which happens, at, you know, to young boys and young girls, you know, at that age, for sure. So it would make sense that you you wanted that, uh, the complete package that, that, you know, everything that came along with it and yearned for maybe teenage years maybe those years where your dad you would get upset at each other and whatever you know you miss out on those things so I, I would I would I could definitely see that um, and it's very interesting because uh, that's something that Darwin uh, mentioned as well I can remember uh, when my dad was alive uh, I had two brothers my dad was 14 years older than my mother so he had a family before he met my mom and uh, so I can remember that my niece and nephews would be over and, and they were only like a year younger, one's year, a year younger than me and one's two years younger than me. But when we were kids having them over and I can remember knowing that my father was older than most kids' fathers and, and thinking, wow, dad's going to get to see uh, my older brother's kids, but not my brother's, my brother's from his mom and my mom and, and he uh, kid children grow up and so i can remember even as a you know nine or ten year old thinking things like that because dad was so much older than mom so yeah absolutely did you did you actually on that note find any um kind of male figures to look up to or or you know that that father figures around you in, in your family 
Yeah, we were we were blessed to have my older brothers. I, I have my older brother Tom uh, definitely uh, s- stepped up to the role of, of not really trying to tell mom what to do or us what to do, but just making sure that my twin brother and I uh, got out and did things. My mom didn't drive, so when dad uh, dad passed away, uh, and we lived out in the suburbs of of, of a town, a, a city in in Oklahoma, when my dad passed away. Uh, mom would have to rely on friends or my older brother uh, who was only 15 at the time didn't turn 16 for five more months after dad's death to, to get his license but she'd have to rely on on friends or my brother to take her to the store or to work or what have you so i had an older brother tom that was really great at, at you know making sure my twin brother and i did things and got out and he took us to the stock car races and things like that and so he was always there to talk to if we needed any, anything to talk about you know so yeah, it means a lot for sure. Um, you know, my even even though my dad didn't pass away, it was nice to have an older brother. I've an older brother who's four years older, and you know, I have a lot of fond memories of him uh, taking care of me. And uh, he was the good one; I was the bad one. So he would, I would take his car, <laughs> go on joy rides, and he would cover for me. Or I would just, uh, you know, go out, sneak out of the house, come back late, and you know, he'd be there to cover. So <laughs> I used him a lot, but. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely helps. And, and, you know, it's just another support it makes you feel like, you know, you're not alone. And, and there's someone uh, who's kind of maybe done certain things. And you can always, if you're unsure, you know, ask them about it and, and they can give you an honest answer. That's for sure. Yep. And so I'm curious, have you ever had a dream of your father since he died? Uh, I've had multiple dreams. Uh, I would say they kind of slowed off as I became an adult. Uh, but the first one I remember having was probably three or four months. It was before uh, we found a church home. And so it was before I was baptized on April 2nd in 1978. But uh, the first dream I had, I mean, it was just I was walking along this street and I looked up and I said, and it was my dad. And I was like, Dad, you're here. And, and it was just... Uh, my dad was like, yeah, I came back just to let you know things are going to be okay, Chopper. He called us. He had a nickname for my twin brother and I. He had a nickname for all of his sons. And and my twin brother and I, for some reason, were Chopper. This is back in the days of Harley Davidson's with the long, you know, front, front. Uh, I don't even know what you nice. call it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So so we would see Choppers in driving down the road and, or what have you, and we'd get all excited. So he called my twin brother and I Chopper. And so, uh, but he said, yeah, Chopper, I came along just to let you know that that uh, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about anything. Everything's going to be okay, you know. And so that was the first dream. And then, uh, you know, I was maybe junior high, high school. I can remember dreaming, uh, having a dream about him where we're all at the lake. We always had a place at the lake. And 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 dad was getting ready to, he's pulling his fishing tackle out of the back of a truck. And my mom's there. My, my brothers are there. But no one's saying, hey, wait a second, you've been gone for a long time. And we're all just excited to have him there. And we're all getting ready to go fishing down at the lake. And so it's 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 sort of uh, dreams like that that I've had of, of my father. So. Wow. And so how did you feel uh, having those dreams? Uh, I, particularly after the first one, uh, I can remember just uh, feeling comfortable and at peace uh, uh, and, and, and not worrying about what does the future hold uh, to hear him say that everything's going to be okay? You know, uh, I think my mom was more anxious after he passed away and naturally. So, I mean, here you are, 
you're in your early 30s, you lose your husband unexpectedly, and you have four boys at home. I can only imagine the anxiety I would have gone through. And so I think she was anxious about things. And so just to have him uh, be there, and I didn't look at it at the time. I just looked at it as just another dream. I didn't see it as a, I can't say it was a a visitation dream because I didn't really touch him or feel him or hug him or anything. Uh, And I've had other dreams of people who's passed in my life where there, there was that, and you're like, wow, you can feel in your dreams, you know? Uh, but uh, it was just, uh, it's just a, a great sense of peace. you know. Mm. So. It's nice. And I think it pushes on the topic too, that children have these dreams of the deceased also, you know, like, and a lot of people forget about that and how, say like for you, it, it gave you comfort to, to know that just to have that peace. And it's like, it's, it's hard to really understand why, you know, it's great to see him again. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's always a mystery to me on why people feel so comforted after these dreams, because we have so many dreams that don't comfort us, you know, like, but these dreams are are special to people, religious or not, as you said, you weren't religious at the time. And so I think that's just amazing. You're able to have that. Did you ever talk about that with anyone or did you keep it to yourself? My twin brother and I have always talked about it, even to this day, you know, dreams, be it of dad, not of dad. And if we have a dream of a family member, uh, you know, unfortunately, as as life went on, uh, there's certain members, of my brothers that we stayed closer with and everything. And then there's two of our brothers that are com- were completely, uh, I would say, completely alienated with, unfortunately. And I think it was their own struggles with uh, themselves, you know, that cause that. But my twin brother and I still to this day will share our dreams. And we, sh- we, my twin brother and I had our own, uh, we, we had the same bedroom growing up until we went off to college. And so we would always uh, talk about things when we woke up and, and everything. So, so yeah. Well, that's incredible to have, you know, that that's really cool to have someone growing up that you can trust and, and really who believes you and doesn't look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> like we've talked to a lot of different people, you know, we've even talked, you know, we talked to husband and spouses and they don't really talk about their dreams amongst each other. So uh, I think it's great. I think it's a good connection and, and a good bond. And again, in, in I think it's great to have someone you could talk to about your dreams. I mean, that must've really progressed you forward and, and help you understand them better. Do you, do you dream frequently and remember your dreams? Uh, you know, if you were to ask my partner, Jason, he would, he would definitely say that that's the case because I'll wake up and say, I had the craziest dream last night, you know, da, 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 da. He's like, you dream too much. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I do. I have these, I, I have these dreams where I'm like, yeah, it was a parallel universe. You and I lived in this condo in the city. We live out in the country now. And, and I, <laughs> I said, I can tell you how to get to the railway, to the subway station. You turn to the left as we exit our building and it's like four doors down and you can go down and get on the subway. And so, uh, but does, yeah, does Jason look at you and like, all right, enough, enough. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And do you, do you kind of, do you remember them? Like what's your, or do you write them down? Like how does that go? I, 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 I try to remember them. I, some of them I do write down if they're very vivid, uh, uh, but but yeah, uh, I, I I I try to exercise that faculty, uh, particularly as you get in your fifties. You all don't have to worry about it for a little bit longer, of trying to remember things. You know, why did I come into this room? Oh yeah, I meant to get this, get that. You know, uh, but I try to exercise that faculty of memorizing uh, of memorizing things. You know, so uh, no, it's fascinating. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm getting into trying to recall dreams and trying to 
you know, go about it. And it's, it's not as, it's not a, it's not a right away, you know, oh, tonight, if I do it, I'm going to start remembering them all in entirety. You know, I'm, I'm kind of slowly working on that. So like, I feel like it is getting better, like every, every time and every, every, every time I have a, a dream or something like that, I feel like more and more sticks. And I uh -huh. think that's, that's, I think that's the key for sure. I think the key, and, and I'm no expert, and and Joshua, you're uh, Doctor uh, Joshua, you're 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 a far better expert than I am. But I think the key is to remember those images that really speak to you in, in your dreams, and to remember how they make you feel. And perhaps it's it's through remembering that images and how you feel that you can somehow be transformed in how you how you respond and 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 act in the waking life if that makes sense you know so <laughs> yeah so interesting so what is like so how does your and your brother's ideas of dreams how does that compare like now that you've because as a child i guess you're just like you share your dream and you laugh whatever but how do you understand dreams now being sort of you know ordained minister versus maybe what you thought about prior i you know i i used to just think when i was young i used to think that dreams were just, you know, your fantasy, you know, things coming up out of the blue. And then as I got older and in and, and college and, and in seminary and, and doing work and uh, working on my master's in theology, I thought, okay, you're, you're just kind of, uh, you're, you're taking the things from today that you didn't process or recognize you needed to process and they're replaying in your head. But now when I look at my dreams as an adult, uh, I, I, I think that dreams really do have a way of helping us uh, truly be transformed in how we act. Perhaps we're too narrow-minded and we would never, like if, if you were to have known me when I was in seminary with the Roman Catholic Church uh, back in the early 90s studying to be a priest uh, at, at, out on the East Coast here in the United States at a very conservative school, I would never have believed in the divine feminine. I would never have believed that women should be ordained a priest, you know, because that was my, that was what my church taught, you know. Uh, but as I look now and some of the dreams that I've had where there have been these divine feminine figures and, and, and things that show up and, and there's healing that's, that occurs and there's things that go on, I, I see, I, I'm, I, I see the world differently, if that makes sense, as, as, an, uh, as someone who's had more experience, you know, so. I don't know if that makes any sense. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. It's good. Like our, and that's sort of like curious about it, is it how your it changed over time as you became more more mature, more of an adult, or learned more things. Your ideas of, of dreams change. I think that's very interesting. And I'm, and I, I've seen, I hear, like I've I talked to pastors a lot, and a lot of them, there's always these mixed feelings towards dreams when it comes to Christianity. And I'm always curious about that because a lot of the stories I've come to read was like joseph and daniel and you know even you know jesus father had dreams and they've all been like very positive moments that sort of god communicated with you know people but yet a lot of the church sort of i don't know demonizes them or just puts them as unimportant i think that's an interesting thing did you ever would you ever taught about dreams or how to talk about dreams in seminary school uh i no the the short answer is no i wasn't and but i i, I think you bring up a good point. I, I I can remember as I talked to friends of mine who are still Roman Catholic priests and, and things like that, there is this concern, I guess, that it's more, it's more of a, a privatized 
vision and experience of something. And I guess they're more, I guess they're more concerned about the dangers of that privatized, uh, for lack of a better inspiration from God, that private inspiration when inspiration should be more for the community, if that makes, you know, uh, so I think that's their, their focus, but I think that we can still learn from it individually. It's not like I'm going to, I guess their concern too, is if you look at some of these uh, cult leaders throughout history, uh, be it like, uh, James Jones down in, uh, Forgive me, I, my mind's a blank. But, but if you look at some of these cult leaders, I guess there's concern over. Okay, well, if there's private inspiration, then you could lead people astray, you know. But I think if you focus on that, that it's 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 more about your message being one of God's love, God's joy, God's light, and that it's not just for this particular group of people. Uh, then I, I think that that's how I kind of balance it out. If that you know so yeah no that's very interesting that's an interesting uh idea and that's something that look we're kind of investigating as we go along into uh different cultures different religions different themes that kind of pop up in in a lot of christian faiths and and mostly catholicism kind of the onus was to put on well come come to the elders come to the leaders and they'll help guide your kind of spiritual journey and they'll help guide your your personal direction, like which is that public kind of uh spirituality you talked about. And again, I'm just I'm just theorizing over here. But yeah, just it it's something that I think you know we enjoy learning about, but uh it's it's very interesting about where that idea came from. Because, like we've already said, in the Christian faith and a lot of other faiths, um, there's a lot of dream talk. There's a lot of, you know, prophets or just people, individuals touched by God who have these dreams and, and mostly positive. So it's very interesting of where we might have picked that up. Maybe it's something we added as humans. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I, I think that's the key point is, is it positive? I, I, I can't imagine uh, that we would be called to do something destructive. You know, so I think that's hopefully people who are paying attention to their dreams have others to share that with. And I, I still have a spiritual director that I see regularly and, and, and meet with. And uh, and I think uh, I, I don't know that everyone thinks that way, but uh, hopefully everyone has someone else to talk to to help them. And, and when it's when these dreams these inspirations, these whisperings, I think oftentimes spirit whispers to us and, and, and motivates us uh, in that way. When they're for the constructive, I can't see that they're, they're, they're anything wrong. But if it's destructive, then I would say, okay, let's, let's look at that further. Let's question that, see where that's coming from, you know? So. Yeah. And, and, you know, we just, uh, me and Joshua were listening to this podcast the other day and it was about, uh, you know, uh, medicine in the 1800s and a lot of things were misdiagnosed because they just didn't know what the people had what their what their uh whatever it was so someone who maybe has you know a delusion of some sort maybe schizophrenia or, or whatever has a different illness a lot of times they were just diagnosed as like oh this person's you know a witch or we gotta kill them or something uh -huh. and so i think I think, you know, on that note, I think moving forward, I think, and even in today, we just don't completely understand or, or the, the purpose of dreams is still being kind of investigated fully. We know certain things, but like fully, I think those things are being investigated. Obviously, the work that Dr. Black's doing, 
But I think moving forward, we're going to have a better sense of it. And I think it'll alleviate a lot of the fears. Because if you don't know about something, you fear something, you stay away from something. And I think that's where the, the usefulness of understanding dreams, if you're not, if you're staying away from it, you're not going to get any use from it. So I think just understanding and removing the fear will kind of help people understand them better, which, you know, is, is a great thing, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's all my past so far. I've, uh, I've had certain pastors basically tell me the work I was doing was the work of the devil and I needed to stop. Um, my own family, when I, I was younger, thought like these dreams were from the devil. And then I've had people at my talks said that their family said that these dreams they have of the deceased are just the devil in disguise. And it's just interesting that like people are promoting this, like the fear of this, even though the the dreams are having are very loving and positive, sort of like the dreams you had of your father. And it's just it's surprising to me. But somewhere down the road, people became very afraid of these dreams and it didn't fit with their, I guess, the way the world works in a way. Absolutely. Um, and so that's why like, I love doing the podcast, love talking to people and just raising awareness, saying this is something we can talk about and we don't have to demonize it so much. You know, like there's a lot of beauty in here that are helping people in the grief journey. And you said like, if it's inspiring you to do more and, and to feel better and to feel and almost regain your faith at times, then how is that a negative thing? And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're on the podcast to talk about this stuff and we get to share a little bit about our experiences, you know, working with some people in in religions yep well thank you yep and so uh for you was your brother's dreams uh just lastly on the topic of dreams <laughs> was your <laughs> brother's dreams were they comforting to him that he had of his father or your father uh, yeah they were i for some reason i don't remember his it, it's kind of interesting between my twin brother and i uh and forgive me if i go off on a tangent but uh he the day of my dad's death, we both remember it completely differently. And uh, I remember it that dad wanted to take us to meet the bus to go to the OSU football game. And we went with our coach and my uh, our, our coach's son, who was our best friend at the time. And my twin brother remembers it that dad took us. And so I don't know which one is true, but we, I don't remember his dreams, but we both, when it comes to talking about that day, we both kind of have a different sense of reality of well, what really happened uh so uh but yeah they for him they were comfort comforting and i'll get a text sometimes at two o'clock in the morning saying i just had a dream about dad you know and so so it, it's kind of cool that we have that kind of relationship where we can it's like the two girls that are cousins that you had on recently that do that so dreamy po podcast mm -hmm. i just admire the fact that they are able to for one thing a few of my cousins am i that close to and i have a bunch of them but just that they're able to talk about these things and, and, and talk about each other's dreams and their cousins' dreams and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, it's a fun little thing. I never had that opportunity with my, I have three siblings and they don't care about dreams at all. So <laughs> still to this day. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of, you know, that's something that I love is being able to talk about dreams and share those dreams with people. Because it is that you feel you feel safe and secure to be able to talk about a lot of the strange occurrences that are going on in your mind that a lot of times, you know, like we don't get a chance to, I think it's just freeing. It's freeing to be able to share stuff that usually is kept a secret. Thank I'm you. curious, you did mention something about your aunt. What was the dream of your aunt that you felt was different than with your father? Remember you said you were touching her or something. My aunt Frances was really important to me. Uh, she, she and my uncle uh, lived in the same town I went to college at, which was about I was 60 miles away from where I grew up and 
uh, when my partner Jason had osteosarcoma, he survived it in 2011. Uh, my aunt Frances was a survivor of colon cancer, and I can remember talking to her on the phone and just saying, "Oh, it's, it's cancer, Aunt Fra Frances," and and I don't know if I can take care of Jason. I don't know what to do when he goes to chemotherapy. And she was very. Uh, she and I drew closer uh, up until that point. Uh, Jason and I had had been together in 2011. We'd been together about 13 years. Uh, up until that point, uh, Jason didn't have a name. He was because my family really struggled with, I think certain members of my family struggled with having, a, you know, I, I don't want to say that the, some rejected, there was some rejection, but there was some that really struck that, you know, they loved me, but yet their faith told them that, you know, being gay is wrong. And so up until that time, Jason didn't have a name. It was just that man I lived with, you know? Uh, and so when I t shared with her how worried I was about Jason undergoing chemo for his bone cancer in his left leg, uh, she, uh, she said, don't worry about it. Just remember the brat diet. And I guess that's what, when you start chemo at, at, at hospitals, they recommend the brat diet, which is bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. And so she said, you know, Don, you can take care of Jess, Jason, and the two of you can get through this together. I know you can. I got through mine. And so, uh, so it was just kind of support like that from her as Jason went through chemotherapy uh, that summer uh, that really drew me closer to her. And uh, shortly after, uh, shortly before that dream, I had had a dream of being at my aunt's house uh, and, and the house that she and my uncle built. And she was noticeably absent. I think I shared this with you in one of my first emails to you, uh, Dr. Black. Uh, the, uh, she, she was noticeably absent. And in the dream, I'm, I'm with Jason and I'm telling my cousin and, and my uncle I'm like, yeah, I said, it's so great to be here. I, I tell Jason about your house and about Stillwater and everything. And my aunt's noticeably absent. And my cousin says, well, uh, it's a good thing you're here because uh, tomorrow's my birthday, February 12th. And tomorrow in, in, when I woke up wasn't February 12th, but in the dream, that's what she said. And I was like, oh, really? I, that That's Jason's birthday too. And when I woke up, I was like, well, wait a second. I know Jason's birthday is not February 12th, but that was one dream that I wrote down. And uh, this occurred in 2007, this dream. And uh, so uh, so I can remember when I was journaling about this dream and my aunt being noticeably absent, I'm like, well, is this a premonition of her death? You know, my aunt Frances's death. And uh, so uh, so Jason got his, uh, his cancer and, and he had his leg amputated eventually in 2011. My aunt, right after Jason's, he, he overcame his cancer through treatment and amputation. My aunt's cancer came back and uh, she would, uh, and it got to be where it was non-treatable. And uh, uh, eventually she would pass on and uh, she, uh, she died on uh, February 12th, uh, 2013. So granted, I don't know that this dream was a premonition of her death or, or what, but it was the same day as the day that was mentioned in the dream uh, six years before. Oh, that's interesting. And have you had a dream of her since she died? I, absolutely. I have had a dream of her since. And one of the things we would do, she was one of these, you know how when you find that, that person in your life, uh, and this is an aunt that uh, just was... Uh, 
I feel like the world's less gentler, less loving place without her. She was just really very caring towards everyone that she met and knew and in her family. But she and I would get together and, and one of the things we would do is it, the first day it was cold enough to light the fire in their fireplace. She'd say, Don, your uncle Lisa cleaned out the fireplace. You want to come and have some hot chocolate? It's cold today and it's snowing. It, um, by uh, by Oklahoma standards at the time, it was just spit and snow. Nothing like you all get up in, <laughs> in Canada. And she'd say, we can light the fire and I'll make some hot chocolate. And I made a, she made this wonderful uh chocolate sheet cake that was just to die for it was like very rich brownies which with a nice frosting on top and so i'd go out there and she and i would just she was one of these people that you could just be in her presence you could be calm in her presence and we'd read through magazines or we would just sit there and read and say hey look at this recipe or look at that recipe or look at this you know and i just really truly enjoyed her presence so that's what this dream was of my aunt uh she it was it happened about two years after she passed uh, and she's dressed in this pink uh, blouse. I, I don't know that I ever saw her in pink, but she was beautiful in pink. We're sitting in her living room and uh, it's almost like I'm in college all over again because I'm sitting there and I'm reading and uh, we're just sitting there talking about things and what's going on in each other's lives and everything. And I get up to hug her and I give her a big hug. And, uh, and it was there that I was like, what well, you could, that it wasn't just that to me that was a visitation dream uh and and i i may have dealt with grief as a 10 year old boy but in terms of losing someone really close to you and that's not to take a, away from any other aunts or uncles that passed between then but she was really close to me i didn't have to deal with grief for almost 40 years uh if that makes sense you know and so her appearing in that dream it kind of it really brought a lot of peace and and solace and and just uh, settled my concerns over grieving as an adult now you know so so I'm curious so why did you get into religion because you said your mom baptized you right after or your mom like went to the church like soon after your dad uh, died is that correct yeah yes I okay, so yeah. I grew up I grew up in in Oklahoma and uh, I don't know how Canada is laid out when it comes to uh, religious denominations and things but oklahoma is is considered kind of like the heart of the bible belt as are texas and other states in, in the united states and uh so when my father passed away the you know uh the more fundamentalist uh christian denominations are really concerned about are you saved uh and uh and so when my father passed away my mom was worried about if something unexpectedly happened to her she wanted to make sure that her boys were saved. And, I, and I'm not trying to belittle that notion. I mean, my belief is that when Christ died on the cross and his arms are wide open on that cross, all of creation was transformed in that act on the cross. Uh, so I don't think it's an individual, are you saved? Are you, are, are you not saved? Like some fundamentalist traditions are. But uh, so my mom wanted us to be baptized just to make sure that should she pass away, all of her boys were saved. Uh, there, we would get together for family gatherings, and I don't mean to go on. I'll try to slow down uh, and stop. But the, the whole there would be questions that came around. Well, we don't know if George was ever saved. That's my father, uh, and so we don't know if he was is in heaven. Because if you're not saved, at least at this time in the Baptist Church and other fundamentalist traditions, if you're not saved, uh, then you're not going to heaven. 
And I just can't imagine why people would have discussions like that with the children of the deceased in the room. Uh, you, you would think you would want to comfort them and say, you know, but God's grace is is overpowering for all of creation. God loves all of creation. Yeah. But no, we there were, these were the talks that would go on in my family. So that's kind of what prompted my mother to to make sure that we had a church home. And so we, we found a wonderful church. It was a Disciples of Christ denomination. Christian church here in the United States, and uh, and we were baptized there uh, 42 years ago, like I said, uh, today. I know this won't, won't be broadcast on the same day, but on April 2nd, 1978, my twin brother and I were, uh, 41 years ago, excuse me, my twin brother and I were uh, baptized there. And uh, and so, uh, so it, it was, uh, that was when I became baptized, I did it just to please my mom, you know. Uh, because that's what she wanted, and she, and we were all still in shock from my dad's death. That was only six months after his death, and then uh, so faith was always important. My mom is this wonderful, prayerful woman. Uh, if 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 we couldn't make ends meet, and she was worried about pre- paying the mortgage, or she was worried about getting groceries for her four boys, somehow, some way, my mom's prayers would be answered. And the next day, you know. There, either she found another job to do or something, or there would be, uh, we would get money somehow, you know? Uh, so it was, uh, she's very much a woman of faith and, and her, both of her uh, grandfathers on her side of the family were church of the Nazarene preachers. And, and so in Oklahoma growing up at that time, particularly where we were at, if you weren't, if you didn't go to church on Sunday, people kind of noticed, you know, uh, they didn't hold it against you. It's just that they would notice and they would say, yeah, they don't have a church home. <laughs> so that's what prompted my mom. And so that's what prompted me, you know, so. That's 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 a very interesting journey. So coming from where you came from, kind of growing up in a uh, area of the United States that, that finds, you know, religion very important, um, family, and taking the the road that you took what what, how do you view your faith now how does how does your journey look like and what do you what is it about your faith when you look back and you reflect on it how does that look like i i looking back i I think that my faith is what's given me hope for the future uh and and hope for uh, just moving on uh and, and and as i look back i think i don't as a as a gay Christian, which may seem anomalous to some people, I don't see uh, faith and religion about so much about dictating these are the rules you must live by and this is what you must do and this is what you must believe, as much as it is about hearing that gospel message and, and hearing the message of of God's uh, intervention in, in creation history and seeing that all of God's intervention, at least if you look at the the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures, it's all about an expression of God's love for all of creation. Uh, if we look at Joseph, the dreamer, who was sold in slavery by his brothers, but yet years later, he would help save his brothers as they came to where he was at, and, and he would help feed them and, and, and protect. So uh, all of this intervention of God throughout salvation history it is one of a, a loving presence of a of a life-giving presence it's not one of judgment and damnation like uh perhaps some of the other uh denominations have focused on throughout history if that makes sense so yeah that's a that's a very uh 
beautiful thought about it. That's a very, it's a warm and a, and a, and a very enriching way to look at religion, look at spirituality. And that must have been difficult, kind of being being gay, first of all, in the South, and then being a gay minister in Catholicism. I think you got a double yeah. <laughs> a double whammy right. right there. Well, you know, I didn't come out of the closet until after I left seminary. Uh, and and I hated that side of me growing up where I did. I mean, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where uh, Oral Roberts was. And so, you know, you're in the shadow of Oral Roberts' empire and everything. And, uh, and so uh, it was only when I was almost 30 that I came out of the closet and, and, and learned to accept myself as God made me and, and realize, and it was at a, a chapel, the Franciscan chapel in the Prue center in Boston, uh, that uh, before the blessed sacrament that I was praying to be normal, quote unquote. And then I, 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 this might sound crazier. It's not like I hear voices or anything, but in my heart of hearts, I felt God say, but I love you, you know? <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, so I, I do think that uh, I, I just, uh, for me, my journey of faith is, is perhaps what saved me from not falling into that trap of, of continuing to hate myself uh, because of who I knew myself to be. And I knew I didn't choose to be this way, that I was created uh, this way. Uh, but it's not all of who I am either, if that makes sense. You know. So. Yeah, I love the way you put that. I think that's a that's a great message. You know, and there's a there's a conflict there and you know you saw that you know you have to love yourself and uh, how god made you and and like you said and that's that's kind of like the opening in that door and you know in faith in in, in faith there's a lot of it's not going to be a smooth ride all the way there's 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 a lot of bumps and and along the road i was visiting a uh orthodox christian monastery um six hours south of canada in amherst new york area actually very close to vermont okay. and um yeah these you know there's really cool guys they're all monks they've all been there 30 40 years and i was surprised there was a monk there who i was talking to him and he said yeah i'm currently atheist <laughs> and you know we kept talking kept talking he's such a brilliant person we were talking about dreams he's talking about different types of dreams he's had but it, it, you know, he kind of expanded on that. And, and it, you know, the, the main message I got was that, you know, there's different, you know, you have different feelings and modes and struggles in the faith alone. And, and sometimes you have to sort those things out. And for him, it was, it was a matter of, you know, he's here, he's, he, he's been in the monastery, he's been a monk and he had different faiths at different times, but this, this current state that he's in, he's discovering what it's like to be an atheist for him. But I mean, it just for me, that was really fascinating because I never would have imagined that. But, um, you know, he was a man who who I think he's he was from Boston, is from Boston, uh, grew up uh, probably, you know, in the same time that you were going through seminary. He was going through it, too. And he had just seen different things. And he he was even in touch with um, the Native uh, culture, Native Americans and um, he was talking about their dream stuff, but that's that's for another podcast. But um, yeah, just it was really interesting for me to hear that because because you know I I was there and I'm like man I thought everybody was super religious here, but he's like no everybody has their thing and you know we're all different we're all we're just like regular people where you come from, um, so that was really fascinating. Absolutely, I, I think uh, that 
we've we've lost a sense of that. If you can imagine uh, early Christian church, uh, you know, right after Christ died, and just the diversity of people that were touched by that whole event. And if you think about that, two thousand years later, uh, even if you weren't, if you didn't believe who in Christ, who He was, uh, like I do as a Christian, uh, or but just to think that two thousand years later, we're still talking about. Christ. We're still talking about Jesus and the work that he did. And just, you can only imagine the diversity of people that that his ministry would have touched and the disciples would have touched. And this monolithic church of the Roman Catholic church, and, you know, that's, that's fairly new. I mean, granted, it's been, you know, it's been around for thousands of years, the Roman Catholic church, but this monolithic notion of, of what it means to be church, I think the Orthodox church they perhaps are the ones that best preserved what the early Christian church must have been like, because it's really about this individual. It's about putting more power in the community, if that makes sense. The, 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 the head of each Orthodox community has more control and power, whereas in the Roman Catholic, it's this monolithic notion of, of, Christ, of being Catholic, and it's the Pope, and then the Cardinals, and then the bishops. You know, so I, I, I think that's amazing to see, and, and, and you're seeing it firsthand, the fruits of that kind of notion about uh, Christian faith in the Orthodox Church, and, and that you can actually have a, a man who, who's, who's an Orthodox monk at, at an Orthodox monastery who sit, sits there and is comfortable saying, yeah, right now I'm, I'm an atheist. You know, I'm going through this stage where, you know, so I think that's healthy. It's a healthy it opened, way. Of- yeah, it opened up my eyes to a different side of Christianity um, as, as a person who's grown up Christian his whole life. Um, and again, that particular monastery models itself after, it's called New Skeet, but it models itself after one of the first monasteries in, um, in the world, which was in Africa, uh, an area called New Skeet. Um, so, you know, way back, you know, hundreds of years, probably a couple hundred years after uh, Christ was on earth. And, you know, you see all this. It's the variety is is immense. I mean, we were talking to my friend. He's an Ethiopian. And we're talking about, you know, Ethiopia being such an old place for Christians. And uh-huh. you know, it's just it's just uh, amazing. And, and it's just incredible with. Now, now you, you look at all that and you look at, obviously, it's got so many influences and so many directions, but it's really incredible, too, that the one, that the core principles kind of remain the same. Yeah. I'm really uh, curious because we chatted a little bit about relics after um, Re- Rebecca came on the podcast and talked about her pet loss jewelry. And you mentioned that that's, you know, it's kind of something that's, you know, been happening with relics. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, and, and I'll share with you my understanding of relics. And I just want to clarify and say I'm not an expert on relics. But, but if you look at in the Catholic Church, there's still a tradition where, and, and when I say Catholic, I don't just mean Roman Catholic. I mean uh, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, uh, uh, other Orthodox churches, uh, and, and uh, the, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church. Those are all one holy Catholic church, right? And so, uh, but there's always been, uh, from the earliest of days, we've tried to keep a souvenir, uh, even l- like I was sharing with you, Joshua, uh, Dr. Black, uh, is that uh, the uh, pieces of the, supposed pieces of the cross were saved and throughout uh, history. And, and it was actually 
uh, Google it. It's actually an interesting history. It was Constantine's mother that, that supposedly recovered it in 460, 470 uh, when she went to Jerusalem, uh, which is kind of interesting. But but how how relics got to be preserved of of the martyrs and and of even Jesus's cross and the Via della Rosa, the the path that he's, he he walked, was because you have to remember that that to be Christian. Uh, at one time, uh, right after Christ was crucified, it eventually got to be outlawed. So the church was underground and they would they would meet in the catacombs. And uh, so as people were martyred for their Christian faith, the Christians uh, would go and, and recover their, their body and privately, secretly bury them in the catacombs. And so relics have always been, you know, and, and relics can be a, a first class relic as a piece of the saint themselves. And you, at, at first it was the martyrs who died for their faith because it was like Christ dying for his faith and uh, dying on the cross, you know. So it would be pieces of their bone, you know, just the remains of them. Uh, and some of them, uh, there's a whole history on you know how they were as as wealthier nations came in and invaded these areas they would you know perhaps take the relics of a, a famous saint and move it elsewhere but that's how it got started is in the catacombs and then as christianity got legalized they would build churches on those holy sites where the catacombs would be or where they knew a saint would had died and uh eventually there would also be and and in vatican too which you know the roman catholic church that was that uh major latest most recent of, of mod, modern times council uh the second Va vatican council in the 60s they preserved uh every catholic altar actually has the remains of a saint either in the altar stone that's on top of the altar or they will have relics of the saint in a uh, kind of a shelf underneath the altar the public can't see it but it's it's done to commemorate uh, that great sacrifice it, now it's the it can be the uh, the it can be the remains of any saint known for their holiness not just a martyr who died for their faith but uh, that tradition is is carried on just like uh, I don't know how you were I mean for me with my father I can't remember that there was an article of clothing or anything that I wanted to preserve of his but he did leave behind all these old country and western records uh, and so the, the old twangy country and western so we this is back in the days of the 80s you know late 70s 80s when we had stereos record players so i'd come home from school if i was feeling very sad or, or what have you and i would put on some of my dad's records and they were some of the saddest you know some of the you know uh Willie Nelson's The Party's Over, Your Cheating Heart, you know, okay. uh, things like that, you know, uh, Patsy Cline, uh, uh, those types of saddest, sad country songs. But somehow, some way, knowing that my dad listened to those and I would always see him happy and dancing with my mom in the living room when he was listening to some of these sad uh, songs, you know, that was my way of kind of... Um, still bringing about being in the presence of my father, for lack of a better word. So his old albums were my relics, you know, and to this day, I still love the twangy, sad, you know, old-fashioned country and Western music over most of today's modern country music. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember when you first told me that, I was like, oh yeah, like I never really connected the dots in what she was doing and with pets and how that's more almost um 
more socially acceptable than if you had like uh, human bones or human hair in like a, a necklace today, you know, like but exactly. back then, like that, that was a thing. Like that's was, that was the norm. Exactly. And it's still, I mean, it's still preserved to this day. I mean, if, if you go and build a new church, the bishop's going to come and bless the altar. And one of the things that they're going to, uh, he's going to come and consecrate the altar. And one of the things that they hope to have, I don't think that they consecrate an altar that doesn't have a relic of a saint in it, uh, at least in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm no expert on it, but I know that that's, you know, a, a lot of times if you if you talk to a church historian, uh, go to the nearest Catholic church near you and talk if there's a church historian there at that at that parish or what have you. And you'd be pl surprised to know that they actually have a record. Oh, yeah, the the relics that are in our altar, or at least here in the United States, and I'm assuming it's it's even in Canada and elsewhere, the relics are of such and such. And usually whenever they consecrate a church and they hand out the little flyer and they're talking about the 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 various artwork and stuff that was done in this new church. That's one of the things they will mention is who the relics are of the saints that are in the, that have been preserved in the altar. And uh, you're not supposed to sell relics, but you and I can go out to eBay and you can Google relics of the saints. And, and there are reliquaries that are, are for sale with saints in them, but uh, technically through church law, uh, you shouldn't be, it's, if you can imagine, it's not something that really, should be sold. It would be, I, I guess, how these other churches get it. The diocese or somebody had it had this relic of a saint, and then as a new church is built, they make the you know the diocese says, okay, here's a relic for that altar. I don't know how that decision's made, but but yeah, it's there's a whole history on that. That's part of what uh, 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 Luther was trying to get out against the selling of indulgences and 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 relics and things like that when the church was in the in, in the Middle Ages, when the church was so, uh, I don't want to say corrupt, but there was some questionable activities going on by the clergy and uh, church leaders, you know, so, uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, I saw that at the monastery I visited. They um, they told me that they said uh, when, they, when they finished building this, that monastery in particular, their parent church had donated some relics. And I forget which saints they were from, but... They, they showed me they had a special case, a special box, and they brought me over and they're like, this is, you know, a, a piece of the femur bone of so-and-so. And this is, you know, a strand of the hair from so-and-so. Uh -huh. And, you know, when I when I went on that trip, it was like a four or five day trip. Um, again, I come from a version of Christianity that's not so ritualistic. So for me, that was a new thing. You know, even seeing icons in the church, that was all a new thing. And I really got to appreciate the ritualistic nature and what ritual does, what it can offer you um, in, in, a, in the right setting, set, in the right setting. Um, it can really add to your, your spirituality and faith and practice. And so, that, you know, when on to what you're talking about in terms of the records, that's very interesting. And I think that's, a, that's an apt correlation because it's something that can add to your relationship with your loved one who's passed away you know that's something that and and so is the pet memorial these are things that can add to it and foster it and in a positive way develop that obviously you could go negative but i mean like for the most part you know seems like a really apt kind of correlation and i think that you know as humans is maybe that's something naturally we do and we gravitate towards and it's something that you know whatever 
whatever it does to us, it gives us something. Yeah. And I think the best way in terms of your grief journey, I think how these things help is that it dulls the edges and the sharpness and the pain of their physical loss no longer being in our lives. But we can go back to these things, be it the memorial jewelry or or listening to my dad's records. And you you realize that he's physically not here to talk to anymore, but it kind of brings you back in that presence and that it's it's not as sharp and painful to to um, acknowledge that he's no longer here. But in, in a way, he is here in, in the joy and the, and the love and, and the good things that you share together that those memories evoke, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I actually really like that. It's almost like it's easier to get hit by a ball than a sword. You know, like it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. I'm I'm glad you still find moments um, that you're with your father when you're listening to those records and remembering him and who he was to you and your family and who you grew up to be. And I think you'd be definitely proud of the choices you've made and being able to make some difficult choices on what's best for you. Now it's, you know, like, and I think those are the things that make us uh, human and make us those loving individuals that with compassion and we can start, you know, taking a stand for some of our beliefs and, and what we stand for and what we hope love should look like and what love should look like. And I love everything you're doing. And I want to mention before we get going is your podcast. So your podcast is about hope. So you want to talk a little bit about that and why you started that? Uh, mine's not, I don't get as many downloads as you all get, but uh, the reason why I started it is that particularly here in the United States, uh, it seems like in the past two or three years, the, the, the news cycles are just about negative things, you know, blaming, shaming, you know, uh, the bad things going on. And, and it's, it's more about being divisive, dividing us as a country more and more. And so, I really felt drawn and, and I wrestled with it. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, I really felt drawn to do something about it. And it was through listening through podcasts like yourselves and Darwin Dave's uh, dealing with my grief and, and others that I'm like, wow, this might be a great medium to do something. And so I, I am no theologian. I think theology has only helped to, I don't know that theology has ever saved lives, but I really wanted to take, I wanted to, a lot of times if you talk to people about prayer and spirituality and, and faith, uh, not just religion, but but prayer and spirituality and faith, they're more interested in praying, and they say, I don't know how to pray. And, and I, th- like I said, I, I was introduced to the works of Henry Corbin, and Henry Corbin influenced great minds like Jung, who takes it onto these archetypes, and to me, that's a bit too heady. But really what I hope to do in this podcast, and I hope I've been doing, is that you can take some of that negative uh, news that makes us want to react one way or the other. Oh, I hate, I hate da 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 da. Or you know, uh, I, oh, that's just like them. You know, da 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 da. Or make us be more uh, resolute and and in our uh, and narrow minded in our own position if we agree with it. And I hope to take some of those news and and to be able to take that and and uh, truly try to help help because sometimes we can pray use words to pray and uh it's hard to see god answer our prayers but if we can't in, in, envision or imagine and i'm not talking just imagination i'm saying if we can't envision or imagine god's presence uh the divine light in that in that uh then i think we're kind of we, we in, in in modern times we've kind of 
lost touch with that imaginal faculty that we have. And so what I hope to do, it's, it's not me doing leading a visionary prayer exercise as much as it is trying to create that space to allow spirit to inspire and illuminate our imagination with how we are to be transformed by, be it the negative news, but to be transformed in counteracting it in a more light and hopeful sort of way. Uh, occasionally, it, it can be, I guess, it's probably more sad things. I mean, the last episode I did was, I was really saddened to hear of the two survivors of the um, the Parkland, Florida mass shooting at, at, at the high school who committed suicide last week. And then the surviving parent of the uh, of the of one of the students that were killed in the Sandy Hook mass shooting, how he died by suicide, uh, and I should have said died by suicide, not committed suicide. Of the other two, because it's important to use uh, to to say died by suicide, not committed. Uh, and so that was more the, the more recent ones, a little bit more somber, but it's really more about trying to help. You know, if 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 you listen to the news or the media, it would be it would be easy for darkness to win, you know, if that's all you listen to, you know. And if you talk to a lot of uh, senior citizens, uh, at least my mom and others, that they're so influenced that they do, you know. Uh, but my hope with it is is to take that and be inspired to be transformed and be that agent of hope in the world, if that makes sense. So, yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great ideal to try to bring hope back into some of the things we're listening to and some of the things that we're reading because yeah it's sad i i sometimes even question i'm either looking at the news feed i'm like where are the positive stories in this world because every time i wake up it's like i hear all these negative things or the thing that are wrong with the world but like what's right with the world and i think it's great that you're trying to do something to bring the needle i guess a little more uh, balanced and to try to provide hope and and the, I listened to the last one too, and I like it was almost like a guided meditation that you're doing. Yeah, and that's what it is. But I'm hoping that I I, I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that I'm qualified to do this sort of a thing. <laughs> I'm just one who prays, and and I have a little chapel on our farm, and and uh, I, uh, I I I prayer is important to me, and I'm hoping that uh, it, it's truly about. I don't want to give you what to envision, as much as it is to provide that space so that spirit can help you envision how you're uniquely called to be that hope that light in the world you know because i really do think that we are transforming the world i mean podcasts like yourselves podcasts like others that are out there uh you know uh it's it's that's the good news i think is this medium where you're helping tie into that 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 connected consciousness it's not just about myself and my family and and my own little world anymore as much as it is we see how interconnected we all are and being part of that light of 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 spreading that light across the interconnectedness if that makes sense so yeah that makes a lot of sense and i'm beginning to feel that way as well i'm trying to shift my focus a little bit into the global community and and i think we are more connected than we realize, uh, you know, whether it is through social media, through news, through, through, you know, what we're talking about during the day and all that. And, you know, you guys are right. Like there is, there seems to be a heavy emphasis on conflict because conflict seems to sell. So, you know, that, that, that 
if if you're always bombarded by conflict and and fighting and you know diff, you know opposing ideas that are negative that's going to be a that that's a tough day and, and that becomes a tough life because then you kind of have this viewpoint that's a little bit skewed it it is really it, it's a little, it's skewed because it's skewed heavily into those daily kind of what you're reading uh, yeah. or whatever what you're seeing in the news and uh, a a podcast like yours is valuable in the sense that, um, you know, you're just adding, you know, you're adding to the the more positive stuff. You're adding to the more good options. So now, hopefully, people can you know realize that like you know it's you got to have a healthy balance. You know, if you are going to take in the news conflict or you know take in you know some some stuff that's going to be heavy and negative, you should balance your life life up with some positive stuff because there is a ton of positive in the world we're just trying to you know platforms like ours platforms like yours are just trying to bring that to the focal point because again there's too much of the other stuff so we're just trying to even it out yep absolutely and i I think that the other important thing is that i think our thoughts what we think shapes the reality and world around us what we speak shapes the reality and world around us so if we're only listening to and thinking about those negative things then where does that give room to think about being creative uh, to think about the divine being in the world and it and it is there if if we allow ourselves to to be that transformative uh, vessel for helping bring about that light you know so yeah, we are just humans. And, you know, you got to give yourself a break and realize that, like, you know, like you said, the media you take in, the sights and sounds of your day, the thoughts, they're all impacting you, you know, and give yourself a little bit of break. Give yourself positive stuff. You know, like after we do episodes, after we do podcasts, you know, we feel good. It's a great way to set the tone for the rest of my day. You know, I, I have a really, you know, generally productive, happy oriented day after a podcast. And it's like that with anything that's good and enriching and going to nourish you. Um, but if I was to sit down and, you know, look at Facebook for an hour, that might set the tone in a negative way. So, you know, it's just, it's just conscious decisions. Absolutely. So, All right. So as we head to the end of this podcast, we always like to ask one question. <laughs> do you know what that question is, Don? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I I was thinking about it last night. It's like, if you could have a grief dream tonight, what would you want it to be? And who would you want it to be with? Is that, there you I, go. You already asked your own question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking, I can't imagine any one individual. And so you're going to have to forgive me. When I was growing up, uh, we had family reunions down at my grandparents' f- place. And, and unfortunately, my mom and her youngest brother are the only survivors of her siblings out of seven. And my father's siblings have all passed away. So I would, I would love to have one more family reunion down at my grandfather's place and, and have my dad's side of the family be there that, are, that have passed on and just be able to enjoy each other's company and talk about the fun times and the love that we all shared and, and just uh, appreciate that because I think when I was growing up and we would go do it, uh, I didn't appreciate having the family all together because now we're kind of off in our different areas of the country. So. I like that. So it's a huge amount of people. What age would you want them to be the age where they died or do you want them all to be the same age? You know, I, I don't, I would hope that, that's a good question. I think I would want them to be 
the age where they felt the most wondrous on life and enjoyed life the most. And then that way we could all celebrate in our joy. If the, that might sound too Pollyanna, but I would want them to be, I saw a picture of my aunt, uh, my dad's sister who passed away recently. My cousin posted on Facebook and I was like, wow, she was so beautiful. We didn't know her as a young lady. We knew her older, you know, I'll just say, and I was like, wow, she was so beautiful. I never would have thought that that was my aunt Hazel, you know, and so, uh, so I would want them to be at their most wondrous whenever they felt the most wondrous here on life. Yeah, so, yeah, all their primes. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering. I'm hungry right now. So, is there any food at this uh, event? Oh, my grandmother made the best pecan pie, and she made the best fried chicken, and she had this homemade uh, beef brisket that she would slow cook on the stove, and she made the barbecue sauce herself out of. Heinz chili sauce, not to mention a product here, but good. But uh, and I, if we could have all my and she, her green beans always had the most bacon flavor in it. I can mm. cook green beans with bacon, and I don't taste anything. But uh, yeah, I, unfortunately, she would probably be the one. My grandmother uh, on my mom's side, well, uh, she'd be the one that would be doing all the cooking because it's her food that would just be that soul food that would enrich all of us you know Mm, i'm so hungry right now donald um but yeah (laughs) i i I expected that from a southern man like yourself and uh you didn't disappoint that's great i hope you have a dream similar to that tonight and you have to let us know if you do but yeah it's amazing to to think about you know all the people all the people that, that have died in your life and you said like there's a lot of people that you may not have known that have that are part of the family have died that you want to sort of see Wow, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm, thanks for sharing. Just as we wrap up the, the podcast, what's one thing that you've learned about grief from everything you've done in this life? I think one of the things in terms of how, how it shaped me uh, as a child and then as an adult is it's helped me to be more compassionate and, it's, and, and, and to understand what people may be going through. Because I think, particularly as a kid in the 70s going through grief, not a lot of people really showed that they knew what you were going through. Uh, and I think that if I hadn't have had that experience, perhaps I would have been more uh, narrow mind, not narrow, just narrow visioned in how I looked at things. And I wouldn't be able to understand the grief that someone who survived something like a mass school shooting or the grief that someone who lost their husband unexpectedly, I wouldn't be able to empathize with that. You know, so I think that that's what I've learned the most, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, yeah, again, what a beautiful dream and that hug, that touch that you had. And that's something that's a, something that kind of we think about when we talk about dreams that really feel real, like they are visitations. And I, I have I've had uh, one recently grief dream and that's what it was. It was the the feeling in the presence of, you know, my uncle in my case. And it's different. It just, there's something different than the other ones. And I think that's special. Donald, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a really amazing interview. I feel like we could talk for another couple hours. Seemed like a really interesting guy. And I just like, uh, I like your journey and, and where your journey's taking you now. You know, it's taking you into um, a place where you want to do good work. And, you know, not like you weren't doing that before, but, you know, it, it's something that uh, in terms of the platform and the podcast, that's something that's needed because, you know, people, people are online and, and they're listening and, and, you know, they're there. So, uh, you know, the work that you're doing is incredible. So keep up that 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 work and uh, definitely 
uh, you, you can be our new friend of the podcast. That sounds great. Well, thank you all very much for having me on. Uh, I didn't feel qualified to be on after some of your guests. You, you all are doing, and many of your guests, most of your guests are doing such wondrous work, I think, in, in helping people grieve uh, and heal from their grief. Uh, and so, but thank you very much. I'm, I'm humbled to be on and I appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. Excellent. Donald, can you tell people where they can reach you and your podcast? Okay, uh, I have a blog at angelsofthenativity.org. And then uh, my email, if you want to email me, is fr.donald, uh, Father Donald, at angelsofthenativity.org. So, uh, and my podcast is Spay Lumina. That's Latin for Lights of Hope. And it's on, uh, it's on iTunes uh, podcast. And I think it's also on, I forget the others it's on. Forgive me. But uh, you can just uh, Google Spay Lumina. So I'm fairly new at that. So Lights of Hope. I like that. That's... Uh what we need right we need to like boost that light into hope awesome thank you again donald and uh so people can check out our platform at grieftreams.ca for more information on the topic uh, we added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate if you have facebook you can join the grief dreams group you can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others and we're on twitter and instagram at grief dreams and as always we love to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation